0: Well, hey, everybody. It's so good to be back with you. Uh, If you were here last week and I was not here, Maddie did such a good job um, sharing as we kicked off, come to the table. And she talked last week about how we need to invite people to our table. We're not meant to do life alone. And I was not here. We were in uh, Destin, Florida. I spoke at Shoreline Church. Pastor Eric and Darlene Parton serve on our board of overseers. If you're not familiar with them, uh, you'll get a chance to meet them later this year. Uh, In late August, they'll be here. Darlene, Actually, speaking at a women's event, and Eric's going to be preaching on Sunday. They're such gifts to us, and, and we were so blessed to be with them and to be a part of their church family. I got to speak three times on Sunday, speak Monday and Tuesday. I mean, I had a whole lot of work to do while I was down there, but it was a blessing. Now, I want to let you know where we're going in the next few weeks. This is exciting. of you know we we stack our summer services, and we're going to do that this summer as well. We have At The Movies coming back in July, okay, but a special edition about the movies, blockbuster edition. How many there's some people in here don't even know what blockbuster is. They've never heard of be kind, please rewind. You know what I'm saying? I mean, y'all remember that, right? That was Friday night. We're going to go to the Blockbuster, and we're going to figure you'd go in there, and all the new movies were already rented, and you were so mad about it. Okay, we're going to bring back some movies from the 1990s. I mean, some movies that we love. Some movies like The Sandlot. How many of y'all love The Sandlot? You're killing me, Smalls. All right? We're going to bring back the Matrix, which may be my favorite movie of all time. We're going to have a lot of fun, and that begins at the very beginning of July, July Fourth weekend. Today, we're going to begin, and text-wise, in Second Samuel chapter nine. Before we get there, I want to encourage you with something today. Before we start, this is super important. So many of us come into a space like this, and I know what happens in your head, okay? Can I just be honest? I start talking about stuff and you start debunking what I'm saying. I'm good there. Don't tell me how to do relationships. Don't talk about forgiving somebody. Don't tell me that I need to do that. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Listen, we're here because we're not good. Okay? That's why we're here. You're not here because you're right. And what's often happening is you're arguing yourself out of freedom that God intends for you to get. Because what you're saying is, I'm right. I'm right. No, no, no. No, I'm right there. Can I just say this? You're never saved or free because of how right you are. We're saved and free because of how right Jesus was for us. Today, This is a full-throttle message. All right? I'm going to be honest with you. This has crushed me over the last several weeks in a good way. And I'm not going to tame it down, and I'm not going to hold back today. Because I believe there's some freedom for some of you, if you'll be honest with yourself. The entry point to the gospel of Jesus Christ is us saying I'm wrong. If you're right and you don't need Jesus, you don't need advice, you don't need help, you probably don't need to be here. That's why we're here. So today I'm praying that God breaks through in your life in a way that you have never experienced. That you walk out of this space with a new level of freedom and excitement and faith joy in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to begin today, in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word? One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir. I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes. One of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Maker, the son of Emiah. So David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant? that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I've given your master's grandson everything belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table can we pray father god we just come before you thankful that we like mephibosheth we are invited to your table god i hope today that in this moment we will open our minds and our hearts Give room for the Holy Spirit to speak to our souls. Stop trying to argue our way out of how right we are and actually embrace the places that were wrong. So that out of that we can confess, repent, and surrender. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. You can take a seat, and as you're sitting down, touch your neighbor and say, It's about to get real in here. Now you touch them back and say, We've been being fake the whole time. (laughs) You know, every family has a table. King David had a table, and he invited Mephibosheth to his home, to his kingdom, to his palace to dine at His table. Now this is practically true for our families. Many of our homes have a a dining table. This is where our families come together to eat dinner when we're together. It might be for some of you where you store the mail or the laundry. But this is symbolically true as well. As a parent, you're inevitably leading your kids towards something that you believe will sustain them, empower them, and give them purpose. That is the table. It's how you set the table. It's how you resource the table. If you're taking notes, this is number one. It's a parent's job to resource the table for the family. Now that may be news for some of you today. It may sound new. But I know that it's something that you already understand. Because I've seen this happen in my own family. I've seen it happen in other families. You cook a nice meal. You make some broccoli, some mushrooms, and some steak. And you bring it and you put it in front of your kids and they look at you and go, I don't like steak. Who doesn't like steak? Who doesn't? You just don't know what you like yet. But they look at you and they say, I don't like this. And this is what you say. Do you know how much money this costs? You know what you're saying? Is there's something to this that I had to provide a resource to you. It it, it took some substance. It took some work. But look at what I've provided. Don't reject it. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, Jesus said, You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, just take a pause. Jesus is teaching on prayer. But notice what the job of the parent is within this passage. It is to resource their children. Jesus describes kids coming and going, listen, I'm hungry. How many of y'all know your kids going to talk to you about being hungry all the time? Okay? It's like my kids have two stomachs. They have meal stomach and snack stomach. Meal stomach is very small. It doesn't eat a lot, especially if it's broccoli, okay? Snack stomach is huge and never full, okay? Which is why they get done eating and like 10 minutes later, I'm hungry. Can I have a snack? We We just ate. Why are you hungry again? Jesus is talking about a parent whose kids come, I'm hungry. And what does the parent do? The parent provides resources, a loaf of bread and some fish. That's the parent's job. That is your job as a parent to resource the table for your family. What do your kids really need? We need to ask that question. When we're examining the resources that we provide for our families, I'm gonna give you a list of things that your kids really do need. The first one is growing maturity, okay? They need to be growing in maturity because your job as a parent is to raise an adult, okay? Your job is to raise a child into adulthood where they live independently and have independent lives. That's the job of a parent. Growing maturity. They won't get there if you don't provide loving discipline. It is your job as a parent to discipline your children now can I I want to debunk something for some parents some parents are super hesitant in our culture to discipline their kids because they say this is a lie that they believed if I discipline my child I will lose my relationship with them I want you to hear this if you refuse to discipline your child their heart will grow cold to you and you'll eventually lose the relationship it's a lie They need loving discipline. What else do they need? They need time with you. They need time with you. Now, you need to hear this. Some of y'all need to hear this. Okay, kids spell love, T-I-M-E. All right, I've said this before as a parent, raising a kid, whoever gets the most time wins and God has positioned you to have the most time. This is why if you outsource them to YouTube, In 10 years, don't be surprised if somebody else is winning in their life. They need time with you. And of course, they need food and clothes and shelter. That's true. They need those things. Don't want to diminish the provision of those things. But they also need what I'm going to call protective empowerment. That's attention. Some families are so inclined to protect their children that they never empower them. Some families are so inclined to empower their children that they never protect them. They need both. Protective empowerment. But of all the things that a kid needs, this is what they need the most. An environment that nurtures a relationship with God. They need to grow up in an environment With resources that nurture a relationship with God. I've said this before. We can never as parents ignite the fire in our child's heart for God. We can't do that. But we can stack the wood in such a way that all it will take is a spark from God. And that fire is going to get started. Okay? We create the environment that nurtures That relationship. But if I just take a step back and look at the way that so many parents are parenting, what we're instead providing for our kids is well, they need to be in travel ball. We're going to give all the resources all the time, all the weekends, all the money to try to get them in travel ball. I want my kid to be a popular kid. I don't care what it costs. We'll get you the right clothes. We'll get you in the right programs. I want my kid to be popular at school. I want my kid to have online status. That's why they got Instagram accounts when they're nine years old. I want my kid to have all the likes and all the followers. I'm so tired. I don't have enough attention. So you know what? I'm going to outsource them to a bunch of screens you need more screens you got the tv now you got a laptop now you got a tablet now you got a phone you got all the screens why because now i'm going to give you unrestricted internet access you can get to whatever you want to just don't do it in front of me that's what the world looks like now as a parent you got to ask yourself are, are you providing the right resources at the table for your kids isn't that what jesus said Who would, when their child asks for bread, give them a rock? There are resources that are just simply wrong to be at the table. But I want to point out a principle that many of us have never thought about when it comes to resources. So I'm going to make this statement and I'm going to teach on it just for a moment. Number two, resources flow out of sources. Resources flow flow out of sources this is why you get mad when your kids won't eat you know there's a source beyond the resource the resource is the food this is a good resource for you but there's a source beyond it it's the money, it's the job it's me who knows what you need why do we push our kids towards travel ball because we've bought the lie that they've got to be good at travel ball. they got to travel. they got to do all the seasons. they got to get the independent coaching because if they do that, they're going to end up with a, a, a scholarship to go to college. Now, statistically, I want you to know, I've seen it over and over and over again. Parents who invest, 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 and invest and never see that kind of return. Why are we trying to do that? Because we want to show them that their source in life is their talent and their hard work. How many of y'all know that doesn't come, work out all the time? Plenty of people who have talent and work hard that never get what they were working for. Why do we worry about our kids being popular at school and want to buy you the right clothes, the right shoes, the right book bag? Why do we do that? Because we view the source in life as other people's opinions. What do other people think of me? How do they view me? Why do we want them to have online status, all the likes, all the followers? Because we view their source as influence and clout. Why do we outsource them to screens and unrestricted internet access? Why do we do that? Because we feel like we're the source and I'm drained and I have nothing left to give. This is a remarkable principle. We often confuse good resources as sources and in turn, make them idols. A lot of these things in life were meant to be good. And they're good things. I think it's a wonderful thing for kids to be involved in athletics. I think it's a wonderful thing for your kids to actually have positive relationships with their peers. All of those things are good, but they make a bad source. And when it becomes your source, it becomes an idol. In the Bible, idols were things that were worshipped. Worship means what? Responded to. We went through that in our last series. Anything we worship, this is the supreme voice that we respond to. And so many good things have become sources and we've turned them into idols. I want you to hear this. Most of the good things that we turn into idols were designed by God to be enjoyed. But if you look to it as a source... And it's not God. It's an idol. It's an idol. And so many people, can I just say this? You're married and you look to your spouse as the source of love. You have kids and you look to your kids as a source of purpose. We don't understand them to be resources. We look to them as sources. And when we do that, we turn a good thing into an idol. That's why this is so important. Number three, get the source right first, and then you'll provide the right resources. Remember, it's a parent's job to resource the table of your home. You'll provide the right resources when you get the source right. So many of us, because we have different sort, we're looking to different places. We haven't looked, as I said just a moment ago, that our source is God We're trusting resources instead. A good resource makes a bad God. It does. Can I just explain this for a second? Think about love, okay? In our life, we have a lot of resources for love. My spouse loves me. My friends love me. My kids love me. My employees love me. There are people in this church that love me. There are a lot of resources, but I will get it all wrong if I don't see God as the source behind them. It is God who loves me through my spouse. It is God who loves me through my friends. God is the source. And when you've defined the source, it'll actually help you choose the right resources. Now you might be asking today, Kevin, how in the world does this connect with King David and Mephibosheth? Let me explain. The story... That led up to that moment where King David invites Mephibosheth to his table is a remarkable story. It's maybe one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. David is honestly a lowly, shepherd boy in the home of his father Jesse it's, he is so disregarded that when the prophet Samuel shows up to Jesse's house and says one of your sons is going to be the next king he doesn't even call David in from the field Samuel prays over all his sons and goes it's none of these do you have another son well yeah there's David but he's out in the field we'll send for him and God anoints David through the prophet Samuel to be the next king problem though there's already a king His name was Saul. And David actually encounters King Saul because King Saul begins getting depressed and getting discouraged and getting a a season of anxiety. The Bible calls it a tormenting spirit. And when David would come into the palace and worship God, the torment would alleviate for a period of time. And so David had a ministry to King Saul. And in that moment, Saul's son... Jonathan and David become great friends now you know the story of David before long David who is back home and his father is like listen your brothers are really important would you take them some cheese and some meat basically it's just a nice charcuterie board just take it to your brothers they're in battle and he shows up to the battle with the charcuterie board and he hears Goliath taunting the army of Israel and so David takes it in his own hands, strikes down Goliath, and instantly becomes a national hero. On their way back from battle, David is heralded in songs. David has killed us tens of thousands. And Saul hears these who's the sitting king and now becomes very jealous of David. So much so that he makes it his purpose to begin to hunt him down and kill him because he's a threat. But there's a lingering friendship between David and Jonathan. While David is running from Saul, years fleeing, hiding, not wanting to dishonor Saul but not wanting to get killed, Jonathan actually helps him. There's this moment in 1 Samuel 20 that talks about what we saw happen with King David. This is Jonathan speaking to David. This is one of the kindest, gentlest scriptures that we'll read. Look at this. He's talking to David. Jonathan, may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord. Where's love come? It's sourced from God, right? May you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love. Even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. Who were David's enemies? It was Jonathan's father. And it's almost... Prophetic within this verse. Jonathan knows that if his dad was killed, he's the next in line for the throne. In that way, he's an enemy to David as well. And that's why he says, Listen, if I die, with the same love and kindness that you've shown me, would you love my family the same way? You know, it was for new kings, it was it was customary to execute the family of the former. That's what was custom. Because you would take out the entire bloodline. Everybody that would have a claim to the throne. I'm going to take them out. I'm not going to let them live. It's going to be my throne. Why didn't David have Jonathan's son killed? Why did he bring Mephibosheth Saul's grandson into his courts and bless him with everything that his grandfather had owed. How could he do that? It's because David lived by this simple principle. Number one in your notes God is our source. God is our source. David knew this, David knew that God is our source. He wasn't confused about where his power come from. He he wasn't confused about where, where the resources at his disposal had come from. He knew it was God. And the thing about David, David is not your average king. Saul became the template for a bad king, but David was the template for a good king. What set David apart? Think about this with me. What set him apart? What made him a good king? In Samuel 13, 1 Samuel 13, Samuel the prophet is speaking to King Saul. And look at what he says Your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. God removed King Saul. Because Saul was his own source. He took him out of the kingship and eventually in battle took Jonathan out and then took King Saul out. David never touched them. But God elevated David because David knew that God was his source. I need you to hear me for a moment if you're a man in this room. The story of David should remind us that God is not looking for perfect men, but for men who are after His heart. Men who, even when they make mistakes, respond to their mistakes with humility and repentance. Who are open to confessing where they've been wrong. God's not after perfect men, but He's after men who are after His heart. David was one of those. Now, parents, we've got to model that God is our source for our kids. For many of us, we don't. What we model and show for our kids is that people are our source. Well, that's why I'm so concerned about what they said about me. And, you know, if people hear that and they start spreading that rumor, or I'm, I'm the source. You need to do things my way because my way is better than your way. I know all the answers. I'm the smart one. Or maybe it's your job. The reason you're working late, ignoring your kids, not having relationship with them, not giving them one-on-one time is because, well, I got this meeting and I got this thing going on and I got to work late. I've said this before, but it just rocked my world when I heard this a few months ago. The only people who will remember in 20 years that you worked late, not your boss, not your coworkers, your kids. And what we're showing them is our job, our boss, that's our source. Or are we showing them behind the scenes and how we react that God is our source? If we can't show our kids, that God is our source, how will they trust Him to be their source? If God is truly our source at home, what we need to do is to model that and put it on display. Lose your job, that's okay. God's the source. Somebody says something negative, listen, that's okay. I love them. I forgive them. But God is the source of my love and relationship. we put it on display behind closed doors, but if we can't, how can we ever expect God to be their source? Some of us need to have our our source exposed. And see, if you want to expose your true source, all you have to do is examine your resources. Examine what you're filling your life with. Can I just be plain for a moment? Most of us, In the quiet and stillness of our lives, we do not live like God is our source. We don't. As a matter of fact, I'd argue that many of us are attempting to live with the same source as the world. Let me explain. When it comes to what's providing for our families, it's our jobs. It's our boss it's the company that we work for that's who's providing not God God's not providing. it's them that's why I bow to them I move for them I do whatever they want why because that's the source some of us use credit cards to go on shopping sprees to buy stuff that we think will impress other people and make us happy using money we don't even have why do we do that because we look at stuff as the source of our joy. For many of us, we are more confident and more secure when there's more money in the bank. And that looks exactly like the world. There's no differentiation between those levels of provision and happiness and security than the rest of the world who's living the exact same way. Think about this for a moment. I'm going to go through some things, and I want you to think about where you source this in your life. Where do you find comfort? Having a bad day? Where do you go? go to a person you go to a substance where do you look for comfort where do you find joy you find joy in getting some new things having nice stuff having people say nice things about you where do you find security what makes you feel safe stable firm where do you find hope when you think about the future, when you paint where your life is going in the future, what makes you be provoked within your heart towards hope? Where do you find counsel when you don't know what to do, when you don't know which way to go? Where do you find counsel? Where do you find help when you're struggling, when you're failing? Where do you find help? Where do you find love? See, the thing is, the evidence of David's life showed us That God was his source. This is why when Mephibosheth walks into the room, David, who was tried to be killed by Mephibosheth's grandfather, David looks at him and says, From this moment on, you're dining at my table, and I will return everything to you. The evidence of David's life shows us that God was his source. Does the evidence of your resources show that God is your source? If you inspect the resources that you're providing, does it show that God is your source? Because having God as our source has dramatic implications our family. You see this in this passage. See, with God as our source, our family becomes redemptively inclusive. Redemptively inclusive. Let me explain what I mean by that. Your family needs some members of your family that aren't members of your family. Your kids need some moms and dads that are not moms and dads. They need some uncles and aunts that are not uncles and aunts. You need, eventually as you grow and mature, some sons and daughters that are not your sons and daughters. Family is designed by God to be redemptively inclusive. But most of us resist that because we're like, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough attention. See, the thing is, if God is your source, your resources are infinite to accomplish His will for you. And the reason that some of us are going, well, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough energy. is because you're spending all that on stuff that God never designed you to do. David knew this. He knew that God was his source. He knew that... That source is infinite, and because of that, he could invite Mephibosheth to his table. He could restore all the land that was belonged to his, his grandfather, to Saul. He could restore the wealth of his family. How many people have you excluded because you didn't have enough? You didn't have enough time for them. You didn't have enough. Grace to forgive what they've done. You said, Well, I I don't have enough clout to hang out with somebody like that. They're broken and messy. I don't have enough patience to be around somebody like that. How many people have you excluded because you don't have enough? See, the thing is, when God is our source, our family becomes expansive. And your family, your kids will be better off when your family expands beyond the borders of blood relatives. David's table that day. Think about this. David's table expanded to include the crippled grandson of a man who spent years trying to kill him every evening when they sat down to dine and you could hear the crutches coming down the hall. It was a picture of grace and redemption and inclusivity. But that's what our family should look like. Is it possible that your table has been too small? For parents, can we stop and think about how we're resourcing Table for our kids. oh I've heard parents say, well, my kids don't like children's ministry; they don't like it." They, you know, they, they. can I just say this? You parenting your kids in other spaces that way? They only eat what they like. I know that's not true. They don't like that broccoli, but you're like, you're gonna eat it anyway. I don't like going to school. You're gonna to go to school anyway. I don't want to do my homework. You didn't do it. You parent that way everywhere else. Why wouldn't you parent in their spiritual lives providing resources to them that way? Then then we get to teenagers, right? And all of a sudden, for teenagers, they're like, I don't like going to student ministry. Well, we're not going to make them do it. But that teenager doesn't like wearing a seatbelt, doesn't like driving the speed limit, and doesn't like coming home at curfew, but somehow you're going to parent them there where you're going to say, you're going to do what I tell you to do because it's best for you. But somehow when it comes to their spiritual life, you're going to parent them by what they like? I mean, we barely pray at home sometimes. That then sometimes we have the audacity to say, but God's first for us. No, he's not. Not in those scenarios. You're first. You can answer what's most important by answering the question, what is my greatest hope for my kids? For some of us, our greatest hope for our kids is that they will fulfill the dreams we have for them. For others of us, it's that they'll fulfill the dreams that they have for themselves or maybe that they will fulfill their their greatest potential. In those situations, what we're saying is, your source is me, your source is you, or do you want your child to grow up to be the person God created God as creator, as source. God made them. He knit them together he gave them their abilities he gave them their gifts he gave them their personality he will give them the right opportunities I want my kids to grow up to be the person that God created them to be I'm going to tell you right now I don't want my kids to grow up and live out my dreams for them I have dreams for them I have hopes but you want to know what if you listen to Jesus earlier in the gospel of Matthew my dreams pale in comparison to his dreams for them with me is source, they are limited with him as source, they are unlimited in accomplishing what God has for them. So, how do we get there? We get there by surrendering to God and accepting Him as our source. God, your source. I'm not source. The source of my life is not how smart I am, not it's not my way, it's 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 not reading all the blog. God, you're the source. Philippians 4 verse 19 says this. This same God who takes care of me. The Apostle Paul writing this verse is in a Roman prison. And he's saying, listen, the same God that's taking care of me will supply all your needs. From his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. This is something I pray over my kids. I want God to provide their needs because there are some things they need that I can't provide. As a parent, it is my job to resource the table. And those resources point to the source for their life. And if you pay attention to this verse, who's the source? It's what I've been given to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the source. Today, I want you to think about what's the source for my life? What have I been trusting to provide love and hope and security Have I allowed something that's good and a blessing from God to become an idol? And today, do I need to surrender to Him? Do I need to lay something that's good back down at His feet and say, God, I allowed this gift to become an idol. I started looking to my spouse as a source of love. God, I lay my spouse down to you. I started looking to my kids as a source of purpose. God, I lay that calling down before you. I've been looking at financial resources as a source of security. God, I lay my finances down at your feet. We need to, and many of us today, we need to surrender to God. Surrender things that are good that we've tried to turn into God's. And those things will never, ever supply all your needs. The only thing that can supply all your needs is Jesus Christ. He is the source. Trust Him. Surrender to Him. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.